I want you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. I, I want you to keep your Bibles open this morning on purpose and or, or your uh, media uh, tablet, whatever it is, electronic device. <laughs> I want you to keep that open because we're going to make reference to several scriptures. Before we start this morning, I just want to say thank you. We have... Um, I don't like it, but they didn't ask my permission. About four of our singers, musicians, all their good friends, they took off for a week, uh, my son and his wife among them, to go and have a vacation together for about five or six days. It left Henry and some of our people a little short, but I want you to know we had, with the adoption of Joey Stroud and Miss Sumner, uh, we had a Falcons band this morning, and you guys did a superb job. I'm telling you. <laughs> the bass, the lead, the keyboard, the two keyboards. Uh, uh, thanks for the worship. I want to tell you, don't, don't miss what we have, ladies and gentlemen, while we have it. Because these are dedicated people. Melissa, when you started singing, I'm telling you, knowing what you've been through, it blessed my heart. We're going to see God restore, I promise. Isaiah chapter 40. This will be one of those messages where I'd ask you not to come in and go out. I don't want the distraction made. If I could, I'd take two or three hours today and I'd preach verse by verse through this, through this entire chapter, chapter 40. You can uh, relax. I'm not going to. But I, I'd like for you to listen today because I want you to listen on purpose because I believe the Lord has a word for us that we should speak, not only here, but that we should speak in this late hour. Every one of you, young or old, male or female, you are here for a purpose. And some of that purpose, ladies and gentlemen, is to serve your generation spiritually. And young people, I want you to hear this morning what, what I think our lives should be on the campuses, mom and dad, what it should be in the home and in the workplace, everywhere we go. God wants to put a word in your mouth. I want to talk about that today. Before we read the word, let's just pray. Father, let your spirit come in this place. I just pray you'd anoint me to speak, but anoint us to hear. And God, anoint us, Lord, with a genuine obedience, all for the glory of our Christ, I pray it. Let everybody say amen. Look with me, if you will. Isaiah 40, I'm going to read a few verses. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And if you don't recognize this already, ladies and gentlemen, this is the prophetic word that John the Baptist would come to be a forerunner for the Messiah. Let's go back to verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We're going to talk about the people that those words were spoken to in just a moment. Listen to the response of the Isaiah the prophet. He said, the voice said, cry out. And he said, 
what shall I cry? Here's the word to the disobedient. You'll see two groups of people here, those that are in Israel, the household of faith, those that are not. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now notice the direction to Zion. O Zion, you people of God, listen to what he says. You who bring good tidings, get up to the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. God has a plan. Isaiah is considered what is called the Shakespeare of the prophets. I, I actually get, I get a, 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 a strange feeling in my spirit when I read Isaiah because his words are so profound. He is called the Shakespeare of the prophets because he is incredibly clear and detailed, especially later on in, in the latter chapters of this book when he talks about messianic or Christ coming prophecies. Can I share with you that the overall theme of the entire 66 books of Isaiah, it is, it is the salvation of the human soul. The entire prophecy, yes, it prophesies to Israel in its history, but it prophesies to the present and to the future. It's talking about the salvation that God has brought for human beings. The first chapter and its 18th verse, I love, it says something like this. God said to the people, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be of scarlet, and he talks about no matter how bad your sin is, I by the blood of my son that will come will cleanse you. Salvation. The last 26 books of Isaiah are the books and the prophecies about Messiah. He talks about Christ being the Savior. 750 years before he came, he talks about Christ, the Son of God. He talks about his coming in his birth. He talks about his death. He talks about his victory over sin. He goes on to talk about the fact that Christ will leave and come a second time. He talks about the eternal future that Christ will bring about for those who love him. Isaiah, the theme is salvation from the beginning to the end. Ladies and gentlemen, what a privilege to read Isaiah some 23,000 years ago and talk to us today. Amazing. Personally, I'm glad to know that God has a plan. I'm glad to know that God has included me. How many of you are glad that his plan, you've been included in it? What a privilege. Sometimes we hear people talk, and it's human nature, but I want to just pick on something that we all do, and we all have. How many of you know sometimes we talk about other people? My wife, years ago, she and I, when we went in the ministry, we bought a beauty shop. She went to cosmetology school years ago. We bought a beauty shop, and uh, I put on the wall 
big letters. So that we had like eight or nine stalls and a lot of ladies working for us and had a good business, thank the Lord. And on the other wall, every time they sat in one of those chairs, I put on this sign, it said, uh, <laughs> great minds talk about ideas. Good minds talk about things. Weak minds talk about people. <laughs> How many of you know there wasn't any sugar in that sign? <laughs> I wanted you to see the humor in it. Sometimes we talk about other people, and sometimes we're critical about some things, and we talk about weaknesses or things we don't like. And sometimes we hear those things, and when we respond, when someone criticizes us or critiques us in some way, it's not uncommon for them to, for us to say, well, who are they to talk? Have you ever heard that? Uh, like, they're no better than anybody else themselves. Yeah, we've heard that. And, you know, they say, well, they certainly don't have anything to shout about. I've heard that too. Well, let me just tell you in Isaiah 40, in the first 11 verses, somebody in this chapter has a great deal to shout about. It occurs several times in the word cry, meaning to shout. Verse 2 says, cry out to her. Verse 3 says, there is great crying out. Verse 6, crying out. Verse 9 says, lift up your voice with strength. There is a lot of shouting going on in this short passage. The question is, whether in reference to Isaiah or the angels or to God's people, I ask the question, what is it that is to be shouted? What is to be cried aloud? In verse 6, Isaiah asks, what shall I cry? I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that every twice-born man and woman in this room, I believe that every spiritual leader, every responsible parent, and let me broaden this to include our entire nation, I believe in this late hour we need to know on the behalf of our God and under an assignment of our Savior, what is it, Lord, you want me to cry? What is it you want me to say? What is the message to this hour today? And I only have three of them, but I want you to listen to them because I believe God's Word is prophetic, but it also, then, it talks to us also. There's three simple words that I want to use today that I believe God assigns to us. First of all, God assigns to us a cry to encourage. I want to tell you something. There's already enough negative in our world. You and I as God's people do not need to add to it. Say amen. How many of you hear enough bad news as it is? We do. Verses 1 and 2, we read it. It's these words were addressed to a people in the depths of despair. I want you to follow me. Think about this. Let's, it's hard for us to imagine because we're in, we're in this most wonderful nation that's ever been on the face of the earth. There's millions and mi billions of people today not as privileged as we are, ladies and gentlemen. And here they are, Israel, this is God's people. They are over in Babylon in exile. They are 900 miles away from Jerusalem, the holy mountain. They are in Babylon and they are there held captive. They have been there 70 years. 
They have not seen the temple, their place of worship, in 70 years. They have not had communication from God for 70 years. They feel like foreigners. They feel like strangers. They are alienated, but not only from their home, but especially from God, and they are in despair. There are children that are 69 or 70 years old in this generation that have never heard the Hebrew language or never heard the priest. They don't know what it is to enter in the temple. They don't know what it is to bring their sacrifice because they're all away from God. They are in bondage and they are filled with despair. If you, God forbid, that it happened, what if our freedoms in America were totally taken away and suddenly we have martial law and every one of us have no liberties or freedoms? And if you don't think that there are people who plan that as our future, you better wake up because I'm telling you it is here. Here they are in this situation. Verse 27 characterizes their attitude. I didn't read it, but let me just paraphrase it quickly. The response was, my way is hidden from the Lord and this judgment. It's their way of saying, they were saying like this, Lord, we've been here for 70 years. Father, we have prayed. We have lamented. We have cried out to God, but it seems like heaven is closed. It seems like no one cares. That was one response. That was a major response to those who were God conscious. But there was another response to these millions of people in bondage. One was this. Many of them took the attitude, here we are away from our home. Here we are away from God. If God was a good God, we wouldn't be in this situation anyway. If God's all he said he was, why is he allowing all this to happen? So let's just make the best of this situation. Let's get what we can get now while the getting's good for ourselves. Let's see if we can advance ourselves among this society and let's see if we can improve our position. Let's try to play the politics. Let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Those were the two responses of these people. And I just want to tell you something about this. All through the covenants of the Old Testament, regardless whether it's Abrahamic, Mosaic, Palestinian, all the covenants that were prior to this time, every time God would write the covenants, I will bless you if you do this, if you will let me be God, if you will follow me, if you will live like this, if you will have no other gods before me, do not commit adultery, do not steal, on and on. Those were the covenants that God said. But there's a second page. If you do this, you bring up on yourself judgment. If you sow to this, you will reap this. And here's the, here's the ironic part. And teenagers, mom and dad, if, that we need to understand this. I do not really have to defend God at all. But here's the whole mentality of a society who do not know this book. They got this idea that God brought all that judgment. They got this idea that God's a tyrant and he's killed millions and millions of people. Let's get the law straight. By the way, that's some of our problem today because we don't want the law. It doesn't count anymore. Truth is dead in the streets. We say what we want to for political position, but ladies and gentlemen, God and his law, even in this moral state, does not change. 
And so these people sinned. They went to other gods. They committed adulteries. They did they cursed God's name. They worshiped other gods. They did exactly what he asked them not to. And he said, if you do that, you bring upon yourselves judgment. And every generation that has come that has disobeyed God, they brought it upon themselves. But today, the ignorance and the unreasoning, because we don't know this book, we say God is the one who did that. You better be careful what you attribute to the holy God. Boy, this is, this, is, this is a thing in our world, in our day today, we need to understand. Here they were, these two responses. It characterizes, I think, our society today. In our world today, millions of people have decided that God doesn't even exist. They, they also, some have the idea, well, if he does exist then because of what we encounter, he doesn't care. And there's two sides to that. He doesn't care for my soul or he doesn't care what I do. And if he he does exist, does he really know what's going on? And many people think they are what they make themselves. Now, I want to tell you something. I believe that we have major choices in our life to make, and there is some truth to the fact that we, we, our choices literally are the basis by many times what we encounter and what we become. But their concept was we are going to be what we make it, so let's get everything we can get. Let's advance ourselves. And if along the way while we're advancing ourselves, we stomp and trample on a few others, so what? No matter. It's the concept of, you know, who matters? Me, myself, and I. And if during the process, this generation destroys future generations, and we make our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our kids pay the bill, so what? Eat, drink, and be merry. After all, what matters is now, and after all, what matters is me. And the reason our world is so selfish, ladies and gentlemen, is because even the Christian today is selfish. And we are touchy and we are easily offended. And we're supposed to know about the grace of God. We're supposed to know about the mercy of God. I mean, know it's quiet in here. And we can excuse every non-Christ-like behavior we want, but we will give an account for it. Well, it's just me. Really? Well, I thought you went to the cross this morning and died like Christ said. Well, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. Who's in charge? Self or the Lord? Now it's really quiet. So here's this. Here's this it, it, it's typical of our world today. And at the same time, the other side, let me rehearse it again, those that plunged into despair, probably, I don't know, we'll find out someday, probably an older generation who knew what they had lost by their own disobedience. Now look at, we're, 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 we've sown to the wind, we're reaping the whirlwind. Our children and grandchildren don't even know what it's like to be in the sanctuary and worship God. They don't know the commandments. They don't know God. And here the poor are made poor by others who are wealthy. Here the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. 
And it was the people in those situations, those who were totally about self and those who were totally despondent, that suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah and he says, say this words. And he said, comfort, yes, comfort my people. You see, it's a different word when you say comfort ye when we're sitting in comfort, but when we are living like slaves then the word comfort has a different meaning. It was in high school when I first heard these words from a famous musical called Messiah, uh, Handel's Messiah. And it begins with a tenor, then he's singing in the old King James Version, it says, comfort ye. And so the tenor sings, comfort ye, comfort ye, comfort ye, comfort ye, comfort ye, comfort ye. Comfort ye, comfort ye, comfort ye. How many of you have heard it? Some of you have. It's a great piece of music. Then he says more and more, comfort ye, comfort ye. Those opening words go for a very long time. And at the end, kind of in that portion, the way Handel wrote it, he finally says, comfort ye. And he almost like it's an afterthought, tacks it on, my people, says our God. And so let me say this, in the casual reading of these verses, especially the one about my people, it's easily misunderstood that this command is addressed to the population of Israel in general, but actually that is incorrect. Verse 1 is a command in the plural to a group, not to an individual. The Spirit is speaking this to the prophet Isaiah, but he's saying there is a group of people that I want speaking. And this is a prophetic command to perhaps God's messengers, to his angels, and to God's saints in, in a day like ours. Their command that day is our command today. But more important, ladies and gentlemen, than the messengers is the message. Notice that, and please hear me, these are not empty words. I want to help you with this language because it has so much. I wish I could spend two hours verse by verse. Not empty words. These words of comfort, yes, comfort, they're not, it's not just cheer up. It's not just put on a happy face. It's not just let's just be positive. It's not... Tomorrow's another day in Kesarah. But when God through his prophet speaks these words, God speaks encouragement to his people. And when God speaks encouragement to his people, they are not empty words. Comfort, comfort. I want you to hear it. And I want you to know that when that word is spoken, there is substance in that word. Comfort, yes, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Listen to those words. They are not empty words. I want to say again, they are words of substance. He follows the command of comfort ye, or comfort, yes, comfort. He follows it with says your God. Your God, 
Listen to the message that's to be cried to that generation. And he spoke to Israel and he said, comfort, yes, comfort says your God. Let me tell you what that does. That little phrase right there goes back and says, all that brings, all brings into play Israel's hundreds and hundreds of years and covenant after covenant for thousands of years up to this day in relationship with Israel. God made his covenant, they disobeyed it, they suffered. God made another covenant, they disobeyed it, they suffered. But God led them through all of it. And suddenly, in this kind of situation where they are in slavery, God says, comfort says your God. And it brings everything he's ever done for them into play. It brings into play a reaffirmation of the great covenant. When he said this in the first covenant, he said, you will be my people. I will be your God. My people, your God. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say it again. There is great substance in God's word. There is great substance in this word. Far beyond anything we can comprehend. Comfort says, this word of substance says, I am God still. It says, I change not. This word comfort says, I keep my word. And I'm going to speak on Sunday, Wednesday night, the second half of God, why aren't you doing something? If you'd like to hear that, it's just coming Wednesday night. I started last Wednesday night. God, they don't think God's doing anything. And God says, comfort says your Lord. I'm God still. I keep my word. I have heard your prayer. I have made provision for you. I do have plans for you. I'm the God of the past, the present, and the future. And I just want to say in 2018, ladies and gentlemen, that is good news. That is the best news you'll hear. Our God desires that we not only hear that word, but that we share that word. So I want to come to you as for campuses of school, whether it's junior high, high school, college, mom and dad, whether it's on the job, whether it's in a McDonald's or a hospital or wherever you are. I want you to listen to what God told these people. I'm going to look again at verse 2. He said, comfort, says your Lord. After 70 years, I want you to hear what he said. Your warfare is accomplished. Your iniquity is pardoned. Full restoration for your future and your children has been paid for. In the utterance of those words, from that moment on, hear me, marked an entirely new beginning of God's dealing with his people to get them back home to the promised land. Church, I believe this society today, this generation today, has arrived at an appointed time. God wants we, as believers, to cry aloud. 
And like Isaiah, we may ask, Lord, what shall I cry? And I want you to hear me. The God of the covenant, the God that promised us life abundantly, the God that says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, the God that stood in nothing and spoke into nothing, and everything that is in its being will read later he named every star, every part about him. That God of covenant cries comfort. A word of substance. It's about a relationship. I know where you are. I know what you're encountering. It's a, it's a word that says, oh. But I want you to notice quickly what it does not say. He did not say, cry peace and safety. How many of you know the world in the last day, the scripture prophesies that they will cry peace and safety and then sudden destruction? When you're in the human world, humanistic world, religion, you don't understand. The word comfort. It doesn't mean just peace and safety and health and wealth and prosperity, 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 even though I believe that God blesses his people. That's not what he told us to cry. And there's many pulpits in America today that it's all about how good it is and how good we are. And I just want to tell you the glory belongs to no human being. The glory belongs to the only begotten of the Father, His Son, full of mercy and full of grace. It was not what the world will cry. He said, cry comfort. Here's what it means. Listen to the scripture. You know this. I hope you do. I'm going to use the old King James Version. Thou wilt keep him, her, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You know why we don't have peace today? Because our minds aren't on him. I'm going to say this again. In the last days, he said, when you see these things, as you look around, I want you to look up. Why? Because if you keep looking around, it won't be long. You'll be looking down. So when you see these things, look up. I'm going to keep my word. I'm God still. I've not lost you. I've not forsaken you. Comfort he is saying, in perfect peace, I will keep you. It signifies, watch this, when God spoke this, he not only spoke it in the natural world, he spoke this in the spirit realm. And a change and a movement in the spirit world took place. Because from that moment on, the king that has Israel enslaved will say to Ezra and Nehemiah, you can take a group of people and you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the temple and you can rebuild the wall and you can restore your worship. I'm going to let you return to the promised land. And the comfort cry message changed it all. On Easter Sunday morning, when Christ burst the bonds of death and he's the only one that has, that moment, ladies and gentlemen, indicated an entirely new way of life. It didn't just bring the death of our Christ, but when Christ rose from the dead, it was as if to say, Behold, all these covenants of the Old Testament that you failed in, I have looked forward to them 
eventually I will bring my covenant and it will be my son and I will make all things new. Can I tell you when you get to Matthew, that is the new covenant. It is the new agreement. It is God saying, I keep my word. And at this time when Israel heard this and they were despondent, I identify with that, and I think some of us do, if not all of us. I just want to tell you something. There's an enemy that's against you, dedicated against every one of you, and every one of your homes, every one of your mates, every one of your children, everything he can do to try to destroy your life. That's the negative news. The good news is, if you're a twice-born man, woman, or young per person, there is a Holy Spirit that abides in you. And I want to tell you something. God knows how to make you victorious. When Israel heard this despondent, and I've heard it before, I, I've had it happen to me many times. I know you, I know you think, Pastor, never, I, I never get, Pastor, he probably never gets depressed. Can I tell you that every once in a while and certain times through that I do not allow myself that place. I don't think about it. I won't go there. But there are times when I dropped my diaper in the mud. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the breath knocked out of me. And the enemy speaks something like this. It's not worth it. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. What's God done for you? You try to do all this, you try to do all this, and sometimes the money is not as long as the month. And look across the street at a guy who doesn't talk to God, doesn't even believe in God. He's got the boat you want. He's got the golf clubs you want. He's got the house you want. He's got everything you want. And you're not winning. You're losing. He also says something like this. What's the use? But God sent, watch this, watch this word, it's the same word. God sent the Holy Spirit. And watch this in the New Testament, Jesus gave him a new name. He said, I will send you a comforter, word of substance, all things new. He said it like this, it is expedient that you, you understand resurrection. It is expedient that the ascension takes place. It is expedient that you believe that I will come and soon return a second time because all things are new. Let me tell you Christ's message was this to the new covenant people which we are privileged to be. God says, I have plans for you and I want the spirit that's in you to say get behind me Satan the comforter has come I will listen to the spirit that's in me not that the spirit that comes to destroy me amen give God a hand can I point you to a scripture in Romans that says by the renewing of your mind the greatest battle you're going to fight is for what you are thinking. Let me say it again. I hope you get tired of it because at least you remember Satan will attack your mind. If he can control your thoughts, he will control your feelings. If he controls your thoughts and feelings, he can control your actions. 
Garrison your mind, the scripture says. Let the spirit of God lead you. Comfort, yes, comfort. It's an encouraging word. It means listen to the spirit and not the voices of this world. Secondly, and I'll hurry. Verses three through eight is a cry not only of encouragement but of empowerment. And this is where the spirit comes in. It is an empowerment for you and me to face this future. If you have your Bibles and your instruments, verse 3 starts with words, the voice, one crying. Verse 6 starts with the voice said, cry out. Verse 5 ends, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And verse 8 ends, but the word of our God stands forever. My point is this, the ends parallel the beginnings The people, these people are soon, after this word, they will be summoned to a journey. It will be a long, hard journey. It will cover deserts. It will cross mountains. 900 miles of rough terrain, they will be summoned to that journey. And don't kid yourself, the questions come to the human mind, how are we going to survive? How are we going to arrive at that destination? Here's how, because God said, here's the cry. Although difficulties may pile up, know this, says your God. I'm the same God that kept every covenant, and there will be a way through what I lead you through. Prepare the way of the Lord. What is that saying, Pastor? Let me tell you what God's saying there. Thus saith the Lord. He saith, thus he says you're God. It was God's journey. It was God's plan. It was God's program. It was God's future. It was God's orders, not just their journey. And let me say something here about something that's important for the latter day. There are far too many people in religious circles that are getting far too much of the glory that belongs only to God. I certainly want you to love me, but I never wanted to build this congregation and what happens from this pulpit about my personality and how wonderfully good-looking and charismatic I am. Albeit may be true. <laughs> None of us are inexpendable, but I want to tell you this word's forever. And if something, God forbid, were to happen in the next 10 minutes or the next 10 days and I'm, my, my body's laid to rest, I want you to know, I want one thing known. That I preach this word and its author. Watch this. Because we're going to need this to know today. I'll be through in a minute, I promise. God's glory was not like the human appetite longs for. In America, we, we have seen the biggest flashes in the pan that can possibly be mustered. I mean the lights and the glitter and the Hollywood and the pop and the smoke and all the, the, the 
pyrotechnics and all the, the, the abilities for video and all that, and thank God those are all wonderful. But I want to tell you, sometimes the Christian gets the appetite of sensationalism and we get distracted because the human appetite likes that sensationalism. Can I stop and say something right here? Let me tell you something. There's no way in this world that today heaven can, that, that this world, just a minute, let me make sure I get this straight. Today, heaven doesn't compete with this world. But I'm going to tell you there's coming a day when this world won't even start to measure anything we enjoyed here compared to heaven. Here's, here's what's amazing. We have this appetite, and we run and we chase sensationalism. We want run and we chase goosebumps and emotions and feeling, woo-woo, and all the stuff. We, we chase all that. Can I tell you something, though, that God is saying here? God's glory was not revealed in bright lights, in flashing neon signs, in ethereal things popping, coming, and going. But the glory of God said was this, I, the faithful God, I will be with you every day. And in humble service to you, I will help you every day, no matter what it is. My grace will be sufficient. And without sensation, you will finish this journey. And then it's sensation time. Now, you want to talk about goosebumps? You want to talk about shouting? Don't kid yourself. When Israel finally returned and they went into the newly constructed eastern gate, believe you me, they had a shouting time. And I'm not against worship, God. Don't you think anything like that? But our future? What shall I cry? Encouragement? But listen, God says empowerment. So come mountains, come deserts. I want to say it like this. You've heard it before. Our Lord knows the way through the wilderness. But let's not forget it's his journey. He said these words, every valley raised, every mountain made low, the curve made straight. The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is what? Follow. And it may not have sensation all the time. I may have to get a new pair of sandals. I'll borrow them from Jack. <laughs> if you don't know, that's an inside joke. I, Jack wears sandals all the time, and I'm going to take him an offering to get him a good pair of shoes. You're welcome, Jack. All I have to do is follow. You see, without, without toes in your shoes, Jack, you can bruise your toes, son. The scripture says, all I have to do is follow. All I have to do is follow. I want you to hear something this morning. All you have to do is follow. All you have to do is follow. The Holy Spirit, comforter, substance, relationship, empowerment. Thirdly, it's a cry, verses 9, 10, and 11. It's a cry to you and me. You're given an assignment. You are to evangelize your generation. Let me just summarize it right quickly. O Zion, people of God, 
You who bring good news, I've given it to you. You know it. Listen to what he said. We read it. Get up to the high mountain. Young people, don't you ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't you ever let anybody change your mind about this book and its author. Get to the high mountain. Lift up your voice with strength that says, be bold. Tell the good tidings. Say to the cities, watch these words, behold your God. I want you to, two or three times that use the word behold. Just follow me a minute on that word, behold. Sometimes in, in American culture, Western mindset, we, I think we misunderstand this word behold. Because much of the time, we use it as special attention, meaning behold, set up and pay attention. And, and indeed, it is that way in our language. However, it's interesting, in the modern Hebrew, if you study it, the word behold in that culture is a very common, common word in language. Let me give you an example. Suppose we're sitting at a table, we're in a restaurant or at home, and we want some salt for our food. We would say something like this, please pass the salt. Pass the salt, please. Could you pass me the salt? Okay? In Hebrew, they wouldn't do that. In Hebrew, they would say, behold the salt. It's just pointing to the fact, behold, it is so common, it is so here, it is so accessible, behold, salt. Now, I want to take that and be considered reverent and respectful. But when the prophet says, behold your God, he means, here's God. Right here. As close as that. As accessible as that. Not some great ecclesiastical phraseology. Not just churchy language, hallelujah, glory to God, and all those things. Not religious language. He's saying, he's here. Someone close. Someone intimate. Real. Someone genuine. Here's God. And I want you to hear me, because I'm closing. So when he says, here's God. Behold God. What's he saying? What kind of a God is it that is here? When he says, Behold God, what kind of God is he? Hear me. In verse 10 he says, He comes with strength. He comes with power. He comes with a mighty arm. And all the authority of creation. He is a conqueror. And he brings all of his blessings with him. I want to share it to you this morning. Behold God. He's here. And that's how he comes. Watch this. We didn't read the remainder of the chapter. But I want to share with you about this God. He goes on to say it. So when he says, behold God. Here's God. He's as close as the mention of his name. Watch this. He's saying this. He went on to say, he measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. He measured the heavens. He weighs the mountains. 
The nations are but a drop in the bucket. The nations before him are nothing. And he asked the question, whom then will you liken to me? I want to tell you something, young people. Our world is full of gods that men have made. They make gods out of moon and stars and sun and trees and grass and animals and then they make them out of wood and gold and they make them out of concrete. They make them out of everything they can. But not one of those gods could ever speak. And none of them have ever done anything close to weighing mountains and carving rivers with his fingers. No god has any kind of credence at all except Jehovah Yahweh, the eternal covenant God with human beings. That's why the world can call it narrow-minded. But that God gave His Son for you and me. And that's why, because none other gods exist, that's why He says, come to my Son. It's the only way to me. Run out from this wicked world and come to the only place that can set your eternity in a right direction. Boy, these are powerful words, folks. There is a cry in the heart of humanity today for answers. There is a cry all across this globe about coming calamities. There is a cry we're trying to figure out what to do with the dilemmas of this late hour. And so God said, cry out. That means you and you and you and me and you and you and you. Do not be ashamed. So let's ask with Isaiah, what shall I cry? He says, behold, you're missing God. He's here. You're God. Years ago, I think it was Gordon Jensen. Some of you don't even know him. Back in the 70s, 80s. I had him here at this church in the 80s. He wrote a song, I believe, called He's As Close As the Mention of His Name. He's as close as the mention of His name. I'm going to read some things, and I just want you to hear some of the ending of this chapter. Because if you were in bondage, and that was the cry of us, if we were there, and I'm just going to tell you, there are people today even on our own government, and there are enemies of this nation who want nothing better, and they are working their heads 24-7 to destroy this nation. They're trying to destroy this president, and I'm going to tell you, it's an ugly thing to behold. Can you see the cynicism? Can you see the vile thought? Not even the respect of just a human being. But listen, listen to what God said to these people. Just before he marks this beginning, when they're going to finish this journey, he says these words. Lift your eyes on high and see who has created all things. He talks about the stars who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name 
God has named every star in the universe. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, none is missing. Not one. Why do you say, let me just go to verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is he weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth will faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up as wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk. They shall succeed spiritually and domestically. They shall succeed and not faint. That's the crowd I want to be in. That's the God I want to serve. I have this and I'll finish. I want to tell you something. He is. He is eternal. He promised He'd come the first time and He did. He promised He'd come the second time and He is at hand. I'm going to leave you with this. Cry it aloud. Cry it aloud. What shall I cry? Comfort. Behold your God. He'll make a way. He is the eternal Savior. Here's my final thought. I believe in a few days we're going to need Him. I believe America's going to need God like they haven't needed Him in a long time. Why, Pastor? Because we've sown to the wind and we're going to reap the whirlwind. You don't know it, young people, but when I was a child, in the first few grades, every morning, we said the pledge of the flag. We sang good morning to you to get us in a good mood, and then we had prayer. Sometimes we read the Bible. In 1963, America said, God, get out of our schools. No prayer. Take your book with you. We don't want anything to do with you. And even before you were born, the United States of America has pushed God out. We've sown to the wind, and this nation will reap the whirlwind. Pastor, what kind of a negative thought is that? That's what happens when you disobey the Lord. But cry ye this, behold your God. Behold your God. In a few days, we're going to need Him like we've never needed Him. But I have somebody else to say. In a few days, we're going to see Him face to face. Don't tell me there's no hope. Don't tell me there's no use. Don't tell me. Because my God has the final word and the final say. And he says, comfort, behold, says your God. So mom and dad, there ought to be some good news in your house. Young people, there should be some good news at your school. In the restaurant, there should be some good news. In the hospital, on an airplane, there should be some good news. 
cried out. My wife yesterday went to Dillard's and of course she was shopping for me. She did. She bought me a new shirt. She's telling me the story last night or this morning that the lady, middle age, or 50s, she's, my wife started talking to her about church and she said that years ago, or she had come to the Lord, and she said years ago though, she said, I think in her late 30s, she said, I had a lady like that come up to me and said, could I talk to you about Jesus, God's son? And in her late 30s, she said, that's the first time I ever heard that Jesus was God's son. That's not in some third world country. That's in the United States of America, nearly 40 years old, and the first time she ever heard Jesus was the son of God. We have a mission field, ladies and gentlemen. We have a mission field. How many of you want to cry? How many of you want to cry out for the Lord and be a good witness? Let me see your hands. 